Well, let me let me open us in prayer before we look at God's word. Lord, we're reminded even even in saying that that we do have such unity in Christ because we have one Father. The Spirit united all of us together as a body. And Lord, we thank you that we're no longer living for ourselves on our own, independent from you, that but that you have saved us and brought us into such a secure position in being in Christ. Lord, because we have Christ, again, there's no reason to fear. Because we know that rather than being against us, you are now for us. That all of our sins have been forgiven and that nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ. And Father, we want to continue to grow grow in our worship of You and grow in understanding how we can best care for one another and minister to one another. And so, we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It should be the text that we're looking at this morning. Can you, do you have a clicker? There's a ton of slides this morning. Okay, so just try to be on it. Thanks, bud. Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, we're in a a sweet season of growth as a church body. And that, what I mean by that is there's been a lot of numerical growth recently, um, but there's also been a remarkable amount of spiritual growth that we've seen within our church. And there's been a lot of change, and there's going to be a lot of change in the near future. And so since we had just finished the book of Job, I thought it would be wise uh, to present um, a state of the church message. So I, I gave one of these a couple of years ago. Um, as I've heard State of the Church messages before, I found that they're really encouraging, helpful. They give a lot of clarity. Um, and, I, and I thought it would be helpful and a good time for us to have such a message. But I also recognize that my primary responsibility as a pastor of this church is to preach the Word of God, not simply to just pass along information. I know the reason that you showed up this morning is you want to hear a, from the word of the Lord. You don't want to hear a, a word from just a man. And so I felt compelled to give an exposition of Romans chapter 12 with the aim of reminding us what is our aim as a church? What are we aiming at? What are we seeking to accomplish? So that we, as we examine the state of our church, Grace and Truth Bible Church, we would be examining it through the lens of Scripture, not just the lens of how the world might evaluate uh, another institution. And so having considered what Romans 12 has to say about church worship and ministry, I then am just going to give a practical update on a number of the things that are happening in our church. And so you can think of the, the state of the church proper. Really, that portion of this message is kind of an application of Romans 12. So we're just going to have a nice, lengthy application of of this chapter at the end of this. So a lot of text to cover, so bear with me. Um, This chapter in Romans can really easily be broken down, I think, into two sections. The first is a very short section in verses 1 through 2. It speaks of the aim of ministry. And then the second section on the attributes of church ministry. What should... A ministry in the church look like the church's ministry as a whole, as well as the ministry of the members of the body to one another. And they'll, there are six attributes that I'll highlight as we look at this passage. Look again first at verse one of chapter 12. I think these verses in Romans chapter 12 are maybe my favorite verses or at least some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, because they succinctly clarify what it really means to worship. And and in that, they clarify our calling as human beings, why God has designed us, what we are to live for, and particularly how Christians worship. As you know, the word worship means 
to, to demonstrate the value or the worth of something. And so uh, when the word is used today, usually it's used in reference to liturgies in the church or to singing most commonly. And that's appropriate because when we sing songs of worship or when we go through a liturgy, we are demonstrating the worth and value of God, often in the words that we say. But the imagery that Paul uses to depict Christian worship here in Romans 12 is actually borrowed from the Old Testament sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, as you know, worship was primarily demonstrated through the offering up of sacrifices. And what Paul articulates here in Romans is that because Christ has already fulfilled the law, that's what he was explaining in chapters 1 through 11, because Christ has already fulfilled the law for us, we don't worship by following the law anymore. We worship um, by being the sacrifice rather than offering up sacrifices. By dying to ourselves. As it says in Romans 5.15, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who rose on our behalf. And if you think about that, this is the point of going to church. Like the reason we show up Sunday after Sunday isn't so much to sing or to be encouraged. It's so that we would learn to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to die to ourselves. To no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ. In the words of John the Baptist, we come to church so that he would increase. Christ would increase and that we would decrease. As you read the Old Testament, you'll discover that one of the primary purposes of the traditions that were established in the Levitical law and that God gave to the Israelites, one of their primary purposes was to teach. They were pedagogical. So, for instance, uh, the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, verse 26 Lord says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads in worship. In Exodus 13, the Lord says, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? Why are we doing this? You shall say to him. By a strong hand, the Lord led us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. You have a similar account in the crossing of the Jordan River. When they pile up 12 stones, there'd be the question. It was supposed to prompt the question, what do these stones mean? So there'd be traditions in the Old Testament that were prompted, that were there so that that kids would be prompted to ask the question, what is the point of this tradition? Why do we do this? And so similarly, if your children were to ask you, Mommy, Daddy, why do we go to church every Sunday? The answer you want to give to that question is because we need to learn to die to ourselves and to love God with all our heart. That's why we're here. And this is diametrically opposed to the way the rest of this this world operates because this world is constantly telling us, you deserve this. You deserve that. And we frequently embrace 
that philosophy. This is why we struggle to be content and we are prone to grumble and complain at minor offenses. Right? The world preaches selfishness, but the Scripture preaches selflessness. As Paul says, this is why, it's precisely because of this that we need to cling to God's Word. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is, which is good and acceptable and perfect, sacrificial terms. We show our worship to God by being living sacrifices, no longer making choices based upon what we want, but based on how we can best show our, our love and value of God. So what does this look like practically? Well, Paul explains really in the rest of the chapter, in the verses that follow. And what he really explains here in the rest of chapter 12 is that there are six critical attributes to effective ministry. Or you think of them as six marks of a healthy church to steal from Mark Dever. I just halved three or sliced three off. Let's look at these attributes of church ministry. A truly effective church begins with members who are characterized by a modest mindset, a humble mindset. Look at verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this should somewhat be a comfort to you because Paul recognizes that even we regenerated Christians, we who have been born again, who have received a circumcised heart, even we are going to continue to struggle with pride and the desire to elevate ourselves more than we should. And so he encourages us Christians to be careful and this pride will really be manifested in two particular ways in the church. First of all, some people will see the church as a means of exalting themselves. And they will uh, seek prominence and influence so that people would respect them more or admire them. So that they can, with that authority, maybe direct the church according to their preferences rather than what is best for the, the other members. And Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly, but think according to how God has gifted you. Another way that pride can be manifested in the church is kind of on the opposite extreme, where people don't seek to minister to other people at all. They, they see a need, and instead of meeting that need, they just assume, well, somebody else will fulfill that responsibility. Just often as we experience in our homes <laughs> or if you were a, you, as a child growing up or with your children today, you, you'll, you'll come home or you walk into a room and you see a big mess and 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 the kids are ignoring it. Mom or dad says, uh, who's going to pick up this mess? And everybody looks at one another. Well, it's not my mess, not my problem. So they just assume somebody else is going to pick it up. Mom or dad. Well, we can do the same thing even in the church or even in the workplace. Right? If it's not my problem, I'm not going to deal with it. That's somebody else's problem. And Paul says, no, no, that's not, that's not the mindset of the church.
neither mindset is, is appropriate for Christians. We, need, we should not pursue prominence, nor should we avoid abjection in caring for others. We should always be willing to meet needs, even if, even if it's humbling. Just, again, remember what we read earlier in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul wrote, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... The point is, there's all of that. Like, we've all enjoyed that. We've all benefited from those graces from Christ. If, if you've experienced that, in other words, if you're a Christian, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Don't think of yourself. Recognize you're a part of the body. Everyone else is just as equally important as you are. So he says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But instead, in humility of mind, consider others as more significant than yourself. In fact, he goes on to say, let each of you not look out only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind, which was yours in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to explain how Christ demonstrated his humility by leaving heaven and taking the form of death, even death on a cross. Christians need to to maintain a humble mindset, he's saying. A healthy church also will be characterized by mutual ministry within the members of the body. Look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Now we, we, we... in the conviction that even though we were saved as individuals, we were saved to be part of the body of Christ. We, be, we have gone from living for ourselves to now, and, and being on our own, seeking our own glory, to now being a part of the body and seeking the needs and interests of the body of Christ. The, we've gone from being a simple part to being a complex whole. In other words, each individual member of the church matters as much as any other individual. There is no such thing as a more important member of the body of Christ than another. I mean, I can't, I mean, so many times Christ emphasized that. But that's why he went out of his way to, to care for the weak and the needy children. He said, these are the, what the kingdom of God is of. Not the great, mighty movers and shakers. And we need to have that same mentality that it's not just the rich, the wealthy, the influential, the clearly gifted and talented that are, that are the most important to the body of Christ. Every single member is as equally important as another member. No matter how long they've been saved and no matter their giftedness because they're all part of Christ's body. There's also a recognition that we don't all have the same function. And so we each need to discern, well, how is it that each of us have, have been gifted? How can we best care for the other members that we interact with? If others are spiritually gifted also, we recognize that they're gifted not so much to exalt themselves, but they're gifted that way for us. God has given them these spiritual gifts to help us grow. So it's not something to envy, it's something to take advantage of, to appreciate and to give thanks for. 
As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, when he's trying to rebuke the Corinthians because they're boasting in men, he says, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. And so let's not be tempted to envy one another. But rather to appreciate one another. And I I think we continue to grow. We should continue to grow in finding ways to show appreciation for all the various members of the body of Christ. From the elderly to the youngest. And multiple times as a church, you've gone way out of your way to show appreciation for me. And so I'm not saying this so much for my benefit, because I don't think, I don't think I, you guys always constantly show appreciation for me. But to point out that there's a lot of other ministers and servants in the church that are making great sacrifices for you besides, besides just me and the leaders. And there's, it's easy to take their ministry for granted. I mean, I'll just point out a few. Uh, like in the sound ministry. For the last year, it's basically been Dan, who's a relatively new believer, who had no experience in sound, leading that ministry. And the only other help he had was from a middle school student. Because we just needed somebody to fill in. And they were willing to, to do that on a regular basis. <laughs> Despite the particular difficulty... <laughs> of running sound in this facility. <laughs> like it's not the reason we have sound problems isn't because of incompetence. It's because it's difficult. And there are, there are, we have problems that come from out of nowhere and they're great surprises. And so it's easy to just maybe even grumble like why is there always sound problems? Not that I've ever heard that, but recognize, you know, often some of these these servants are doing the best they can with what they've been given. Uh, each Sunday the Doblers, the Merkels, the whole music team arrived uh, an hour and a half early to rehearse and to set up so that when everybody else comes in the church, everything's all set up and ready to go. The, the nursery, coffee, and the music to be ready. Now, the music team, due to various constraints, uh, really only has one one-hour rehearsal each week. And so uh, that's why sometimes things aren't as smooth as we would like them to be. The nursery workers have to miss the service. And it's not always easy caring for grumpy toddlers. And they do that because they want you to be able to enjoy the service and preaching. Uh, Hosts have to miss a large portion of the service as they're introducing people to come in. And they don't get the time to maybe interact with some of the people they interact with because they want to care for, make sure especially new people are, are cared for and loved as they come into the church. Uh, Sunday school, the teachers prep for hours and often there's just really low attendance. And yet they they keep doing it because they want to care for those who do desire to grow and attend. And even community group hosts. um, (laughs) Whenever you have anybody at your house, as you know, you want to have a clean house. You want everything to be prepared. And when they're there, you want to have your attention on them. And when they do that week after week, it it takes a toll. And and people, they, all these servants do this because they love the church. So I mean, they're not seeking pity. I'm just bringing this out because I want you to be thinking about how can you go out of your way as a body to show appreciation for them. Let's just think, if you were serving in those ministries, how would you want to be appreciated? I mean, would, we all receive love in different ways. Through, through gifts. Maybe you can give them a gift card or 
just words of affirmation. Uh, give him a hug. That's how Don likes to be loved, by the way. Um, find some way that you can serve them. Just ask what's going on. So encourage them. And so a ministry in a healthy church should be modest. There should be a mutual ministry to one another. Thirdly, ministry should be active. Look at verse 6. Having gifts that, it, that differ according to the grace given to us, notice, let us use them. And then he goes on to list all these different gifts. But the point is, if you have these gifts, use the gifts. Don't let them just sit on the shelf, so to speak. And this, this attribute of active service is really linked to the previous. But again, I want to emphasize here that, that ministry is active. It's not passive. Right? The, the ministers are not spectators. They're servants. They're involved. They, they don't just show up to watch and observe. They show up to play the game. And they're not merely just seeking to check off a box of responsibility, but, but they want to be effective. Right? They're not just doing it because they were asked to do it, but they actually want to help the people they're ministering to. They want to exalt God. They want to care for the people they're ministering to. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? They run. They don't walk. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete athlete exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So he gets personal. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says when he engages in ministry, he's not taking it casually. He's giving it his best. And note why. Well, one, because God's commanded him, he's given him a commission. So woe is he if he doesn't preach the gospel. But secondly, because he really loves the people he's serving. He really wants to help them. And I think that's true also of the servants in this church. So church members should be modest, mutual. The ministry should be mutual. The ministry should be active. Fourthly, it should be affectionate. And just, just consider the emotional words that Paul uses, beginning of verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Notice how many of these commands are infused with emotion. Christ. Christ is commanding us to to be emotional, to be affectionate in our ministry, not just to be disciplined in it. All right, and that's fitting when we consider that worship, especially true worship, is defined by loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, all our heart, our soul, with all our affections, not just with our thinking, not just with our action. We're called to love God with our affections, to be passionate about Him and about His people. 
All right? When God so loved the world, He gave. Like that affection resulted in something. Biblical affection will result in biblical actions. But again, it's not just actions performed out of duty and responsibility because I signed up for this ministry, but it's, it's actions that's driven by love, by care for one another because it, it wants to be effective. And it's affectionate. It's the affection that drives this discipline and this devotion. Recall again Paul's first words in 1 Corinthians 13. Those first few verses. We can never forget this as a church. 1 Corinthians 13, you know it well. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries, all knowledge. That's impressive. If I have all faith so that I'm able to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Think about that. The power to move mountains. Worthless. Doesn't help the church. Paul says, if I give away all that I have, (coughs) even delivering of my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. We have... Ministry done without love is worthless, if not harmful. Right? It's not just a good principle to follow. It's an absolutely necessary principle to follow. We have to be driven by love. And we need to be thinking about that in every ministry that we engage in, whether it's teaching, serving, setting up, tearing down, uh, needing to confront another person, whatever it might be, we always have to be remember that person's best interest and be thinking not just what's in that person's best interest, but what am I willing to give up? What am I willing to sacrifice? Comfort, money, ease, whatever it is. And be willing to do so in in seeking to minister to them. If this church is going to be the church that God's called us to be, we have to be driven by love in everything that we do. Fifthly, biblical ministers should also be selfless. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. What Paul is describing here is very strange. I imagine if you were to share these words with a coworker, tell them to do these things, they'd look at you like you were really weird. It's doing the opposite of what you'd actually expect. Blessing people who offend you, who insult you, rather than just turning your back on them, blowing them off, ignoring them, avoiding them. He says, bless them. He goes on to say, find the neediest, the most awkward person, and devote yourself to caring for them, meeting their needs. Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, always assume that you're the one that needs to learn. 
Always assume that there's something you need to learn from others around you. Don't presume that people just need to learn from you. The best leaders are learners. And again, not just learning from books and knowledge, but learning people. You guys know, if you ever had good teachers, it wasn't just because they were smart. It's because you knew they cared about you. So don't be wise in your own eyes. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, be willing to defer your preferences. Be willing to take the hit in order to, in order to make sure that other people are cared for. Be like John Lilgenberg in the van. <laughs> Giving them the best seats. Allowing them t- to listen to their preference in music. Or you know, helping them gather food for their kids during a fellowship meal. Now, always think about what you can do to care for other people, not just what's in your best inference. And, and, and when there's conflict, seeking to do whatever you need to do to bring about peace in a situation. I mean, so many conflicts, honestly, they're not about biblical issues. Most of them are about preferences. Churches split over preferences. Well, often more, more frequently than doctrine. It's the, it's the preferences that open up the maybe differences in doctrine. Be willing to let go of that for the sake of others, to bring about peace. So biblical ministry is selfless. Finally, it's sacrificial. Look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21 is critical. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Notice what what he's describing. He's just giving a, a string of exhortations in these verses. He's basically saying, Be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. Stop thinking about what you want, but open up your eyes and see the needs of all those around you. And when the church does that, there's a beautiful harmony and affection and security. I didn't share this uh, during the announcements, but I, I can't tell you how secure I felt on our trip down to Los Angeles this week with the with the the five men the other four men that were with us I just just the security of their present presence because of the unity we felt and just the constant love they demonstrated and the questions they asked is sweet when you have that and when a when it's not just a family or a, or a few believers a community group but a whole church that experiences that it's 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 unbelievably powerful. And I think we do a, a pretty good job of it as a church, but I also think we can continue to grow. And so in this section, Paul's really, again, just drawing out what he said in the first two verses. True worshipers worship by being living sacrifices. They die to themselves. And, and often this is best manifested under pressure. When life is hard, when you didn't get sleep last night when when your car breaks down when your your job is threatened when your kids are sick 
when you're sick. It's in those situations when the pressure is on that when you selflessly forget about your own interests and are devoted to the interests of others, even others outside of your family, it shows what you really worship. You do that because you love Christ and you love His body. And this is one of the reasons why we don't seek to be an attractional ministry. Another, you know, the old word for that was a seeker-sensitive church. Because we're not trying to impress others with appearances or technology or multiplied programs. And I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with those things. But if that's why a person is attracted to this church, we're kind of giving them a misunderstanding of what we're actually seeking to do. Because if the reason we go to church is to die to ourselves, we don't, we don't want people to, we don't want to unintentionally foster selfishness rather than selflessness. Let me just illustrate this with the principle of marriage. You, if you're single now, or, or even as you think back before you were married, you, you didn't want to marry a person who's attracted to you just simply because they see all the ways that you can benefit them. You don't want to marry a person who wants to use you, in other words. You want to marry a person who wants to unite with you because you realize you have the same ultimate goals in life. And you realize in them, they actually want to sacrifice their own interests, their own plans, their own desires, because they want to come alongside you and help you meet those goals, those great goals for which you're living for. And if they're a Christian, right, it would be living for the glory of God. They're attracted to you because of your selfless desire to honor God, not what you can give to them. Right? And that such attraction is not just superficial. Right? It's it's based on the fundamental reason for why they live. They're attracted to you. You might be really good looking, but what they're really attracted to is your heart, your devotion, your love. And so there's this mutual desire to sacrifice one another's interests for the greater interest. And that's what makes for a truly joyful union is this, is this mutual commitment to a greater purpose. And so if I could carry that analogy back to the church, particularly Grace and Truth Bible Church, we're not promising or seeking to be the prettiest, the smartest, the most fashionable. Right? We're not focused on the latest trends, the best lipstick or perfume that will attract people to us. We're not promising to be the most attractive, but what we are promising to pursue is to be seriously committed to your spiritual growth. And and we're committed to make great sacrifices in order to see that happen. That's what grace and truth is all about. Because according to Romans 12, that's what we're supposed to be about. In a healthy church, members should be characterized by modesty, Mutual care for one another, active ministry to one another, genuine affection, selflessness, and a sacrificial approach to all of life. And so I want us to keep these, this grid of ministry, these factors of ministry, these attributes of a healthy church in mind as we consider the state of our church today. And if I would just to summarize where we're at as a church today, I'd summarize it with the word newness. 
There's a lot of new. So let me fill you in on what I mean. First of all, we have a lot of new attenders in our church. The church has grown significantly more this last year than in it, in its past, according to my knowledge. And many people within that have started to pursue the membership process, but many of them haven't been able to finish yet. Um, and I just encourage you to complete, if that's you, just complete the whole. Um, and also, if you're not, if, even if you haven't completed it or you've just started attending, I also want to strongly encourage you as a new attender to get get devoted to other groups outside of just Sunday services, a community group, a discipleship group, other groups that meet, because that's where you're going to get a lot more care because there's just you're, we're limited on what we can accomplish on a Sunday morning. And that's that's not because we're trying to grow programs or boast in the numbers of people who attend. programs. But the reality is the more a person is involved, the more they're going to grow. Those who tend to just the, the more limited we are in our involvement, the more we tend to spiritually languish. It's just it's a practical reality I've seen for all the years that I've been involved in ministry. So just encourage us more involvement, if possible. Uh, maybe one other thing outside of a Sunday service, if, if that's possible for your life. Also, we have a, we're going to be moving to a new facility. Um, God has really a chance to prayer um, in, a, in a profound way. I won't give all the details of it, but beginning in June, our lease here is going to be fulfilled. And we have been given a... a a very gracious opportunity to attend church on Sunday mornings at uh, the Forest Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, just the leadership there has been eager to uh, provide us this opportunity, and we're eager to take advantage of it. And so more information will be coming out on that, but uh, it, it really is a great blessing that they're providing for us. And so we'll be able to continue to have church on Sunday morning. Uh, actually be in a location where most of our church members, Calvin just gets to walk down the street um, to go to church. Um, and uh, it will allow us to actually worship in a church and have a lot of room. It, it seats at around 300. So plenty of room, nice pews. It's a beautiful building. Uh, also, because of that, there's going to be a new schedule for our church. Um, we really want to continue to increase opportunities to, to teach, and we really want to take advantage of our Sunday school better than we have. Um, so one of the things we're going to do is we're actually going to move Sunday school from first hour to the second hour. So this would be the, the, the essential schedule. It's up there on the screen. The setup teams will arrive at 8 o'clock. Then there will be a coffee and fellowship hour between 9 and 9.30. Um, they have a beautiful fellowship hall that we can use for that. Church, the church service will start at 9.30. After the service, there will be a 30-minute break for just fellowship and snacks. Um, the leaders, when we talked about setting up the schedule, were very adamant of making sure we have lots of fellowship time because this church just loves to have fellowship. And so let's take advantage of that and then just move that fellowship, continue that fellowship into whatever Sunday school class you might be attending. And so the, the Sunday school will be 45 minutes or so. Um, the classes, and then we'll we'll end church around 12:30, and then encourage you to, to get lunch together, go home and take naps, and enjoy the rest of your your weekend. 
Um, we also, uh, I want to highlight um, the need for new servants. Just even as we're going into a new facility, as the church is continuing to grow, we need more people to, to serve in various ministries. I'm just going to highlight some. Uh, we need more people to help with, with hosting. And you can talk to the Kenishitas about that. Uh, Julie's always needing help um, in the nursery. And so if you're available to help, the more people we have, the less people have to be involved. Right? If we only have three people who can attend, they're going to be there almost every other week. But if we have 20 people, then that's maybe just once every six months or so where you might have to serve. Uh, we, we can always use more help with fellowship meals. And that, that snack for fellowship time that we'll have when we get to the new facility. Speak to the Reynolds about that. Uh, Karen Merkel oversees the coffee and hospitality ministry. And, and right now she's the only one doing it. And so when she's sick or out, somebody has to step in. And often it's kind of last minute. So we have a team of people. It could be really good to, to prepare that. Uh, Dan could always use help with sound. Uh, more people recently have been... Exposed to him, I know to, to to help. But we, but again, the more servants, the better. And then Dan doesn't have to do sound. He can, because um, he is right now. Dan's almost every week, so you can keep, to show your appreciation for him. And also, Todd Seward uh, oversees security, and we could also use more people to help with security. And part of that's just we want to have, have a safe environment. A lot of us have kids, and little kids are running everywhere. And I know the parents really try to keep an eye on them. But sometimes kids aren't conducive to that. And, um, and so just, you know, the, the more secure we can have our church, not just for the kids, but for all of us, the better. And so let me speak to Todd Stewart, Sr., if you're interested in serving in that ministry. Um, we're also going to, uh, hopefully, when we get to the new, new facility, have a new prayer service, a midweek worship service. There'll be some teaching involved in that, a, sh- a short teaching. There'll be, uh, re- but really a, a, a primary purpose is to devote ourselves to prayer. And since that time will be available, um, I was also wanting to use that time prior to the service for a rehearsal time for the music team, whoever would be on music that week, just so we can get more time to rehearse. So um, that'll probably be midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And we'll work around the other events we have going on in the week. So if you're not involved in the community group, um, this would be a great thing to be involved in as well, even if you are involved in the community group. Also, uh, another new thing is we're hoping to bring on some new elders. Um, Over the last year, uh, I think I announced this months ago, uh, Ben Dobler and Mark Reynolds and I have uh, been meeting regularly to discuss all sorts of things, life, doctrine, qualifications for ministry. They've read multiple books and we've discussed them. Uh, each of them has gone through a full 360 evaluation where their kids and their and, and a peer and they do a self-evaluation. Their wife evaluates them on a lot of just detail on are they really ready? Are they in a place to, to truly take leadership as elders in the church based upon the biblical qualifications? <laughs> they have a really encouraging evaluation. Uh, I, yeah, I can't, I cannot speak more highly of those two men and their readiness to serve this church as elders. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm tearing up. Uh, 
not just not really not just even so much to help me, though it will be a help, but for you guys to know how much these men care for you. Um, and so uh, we are going to vote on them as a church in a month. The reason we're going to give it a month is because we want you guys to ask questions of them and they don't mind the hard questions. Uh, if there's concerns that you have about them, you can talk to them. You can obviously you can talk to me. Um, but this is a serious step. Uh, they know, uh, and I, I believe as, as well as you know, the greatest threat to a church is its leadership. And so we want to. That's why we've been so cautious in, in bringing them on. And so pray for them that we would make a wise decision, uh, because uh, again we, we're. Uh, there's only one elder right now. That's me. Um, any major decision still needs to be made by a congregational vote. And so we will vote on that. And so uh, that'll be a month from now. But until that time, please be in prayer for them and, and for the church regarding their service as elders. Also, <laughs> this, this is also really exciting. We're, we want to bring on two new deacons. So Jason Kenishita and Calvin Nail have gone through a very similar process of reading uh, some books and, and documents regarding what it means to be a deacon. Um, they have been a part of meetings and discussions and evaluating that. And they went through this, also that full 360 evaluation and very similar high, high uh, praise from the people who know them best about, regarding their readiness to serve in that capacity. And so we will also vote on their inclusion as deacons in leading the church. And as deacons, really our understanding of deacons is not just they're, they're not just glorified servants. Because the whole church is supposed to serve one another. They're spiritual leaders. And so they're gonna, they're, they have a, a, a significant amount of authority in leading the church. And so likewise, we want to be, be patient and cautious and wise in the people we install as deacons within the church. And so also be in prayer for them and... Uh, for the church, and we will vote on that, on their inclusion in a month. And again, if you have concerns or questions, please speak to them or you can speak directly to me. Another uh, new thing that I want to bring your attention to, similar to the, the previous two, is as a leadership team, the, de- the, the, the candidating deacons and the candidating elders, um, we've, we've recognized the need to bring on a new pastor. Uh, just the help with ministry. Um, and in particular, we, we really see uh, a need to bring on a pastor who's bilingual, who's fluent in Spanish. And that that's really because the <laughs> our our Spanish speaking brothers and sisters. <clears throat> They just need better care than I can give them. They need more time. And you guys just know how difficult it is to communicate sometimes like difficult uh, situations or it's hard. You know, imagine trying to listen to a sermon in another language. It's not even if you speak a language fluently, something it's hard to listen to something you don't fully understand. And they have done it patiently for years. And, and they love the church as much as you guys do. Um, but they, they really need better care than I can give. And I'm going to continue to care for them and uh, attend their Bible studies um, and continue to try and improve in my Spanish. But um, 
but they, 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 need, they need more help where they can get preaching in Spanish, biblical counseling by a Spanish pastor. And also on top of that, there's not, there's not a good, uh, there's no other good Spanish speaking ministry in the whole region. Amen. Is that true, Daniel? And uh, there's, it's, it's, it's an unspeakably great need. It's a massive, massive evangelistic opportunity, not just evangelistic, but for any other Christian that they need biblical teaching and, and I can't provide it. Um, and so we really, I mean, that's, it's a need that I've been praying about for at least five years and God and his, and his sovereignty seems to appears to have, have uh, met that need. Um, so uh, not just that need for a Spanish pastor, we, the, the church needs um, because of the, it's grown, we need help with shepherding, uh, discipleship, administrative help, as you guys well know. It's not a strength of mine. Um, and so uh, before we formally offer um, or, or pursue a candidate, we need to uh, make sure we have the budget to bring somebody on. Uh, this year's budget, as we approved it, uh, did not. Uh, w- it didn't have a, a money allow- a, a designated allowance to bring on another pastor. Um, so we need to do a whole budget review and present uh, in the next week or two. The leadership team is going to present a, n- a new budget. Now, given that it's already halfway through the year and how much money we had in surplus in the budget. There's probably not going to be a massive change or a massive decrease in the amount of money. Um, there may not be much at all for this year. But in the years to come, um, we don't want to bring somebody on just for six months. We want to bring them on uh, for years to come, you know, permanently. And so we need to be thinking in terms of how can we make sure that we don't, we're not taking too much money. We probably will for the next year have to take some money from capital. We have a significant amount of capital, um, but in order to do that, we want the church's approval um, because there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a risk being taken. But, but given the need, we see it's very much worth the risk. But also on top of that, I want to just encourage you guys to even consider increasing your giving. Um, in fact, uh, I would encourage you to consider just giving maybe 1% or 2% more than you already do. Um, it's not going to be a huge adjustment. Um, I'm, I'm certainly going to commit to doing that in our family. Uh, but just because, I mean, I, the church is already generous, but that wouldn't be too much of a hit. But with the new facility, rising costs because of inflation, and especially the desire to want to fully secure another pastor for years to come, uh, you know, the more generous, the better. And even think of this. This is really for the body, right? It's not because we're trying to make the institution more powerful, right? We're not interested in looks. We're, we're interested in caring for one another. And so consider maybe if you'd be willing to give in order to, in order to be, better care for uh, the members of this church. And that brings me to the final thing I want to talk about in the state of the church, some renewed goals. If you were here two years ago when I gave a state of the church, I kind of summarized um, that where the church was at then by identifying 
a number of things that I wanted to say for this year. These are the goals for this year. And I'll send these out to you. I think I usually had them in our in our monthly bulletin that I send out just regularly. These are things I want you to regularly pray for, that God would work in power to bring about these realities in our church over the next year. So let me just read them to you. First of all, that as a church, we would grow to give God the best of our worship. Again, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. That, I mean, that's why we exist, right? To be true worshipers so that God would actually do that in our lives. Secondly, that every member would be regularly involved in some ministry to others outside of their family in order to help them grow spiritually. That all of us would be regularly involved in some way or another ministering to other members of the body or in, or in evangelism. Thirdly, that every member would have regular and consistent daily time engaging the Word of God and praying. That is just basic Christianity, but it's something that many members struggle to do. And just pray that they would find good routines and discipline in order to bring that about. Because that's what, it's through prayer, the Word, and fellowship that spiritual growth happens. And so pray that God would, would allow that to happen. Fourthly, that every member would have regularly spiritually focused in-depth interactions at least once a week with people outside of the family. In other words, they'd be involved in good, healthy spiritual relationships with one another in community groups or discipleship groups or just meeting with good friends who would hold them accountable and encourage them in the faith. Fifthly, that most of the church members would memorize Romans 12 and then would actively shape them personally. So I exposited Romans 12 for a reason, because I think this is, this is what tells us how to be the church. And so I want us to memorize it as a church, because in memorizing the word, hiding God's word in our heart, it's by it that we'll grow. Right? We, we grow by listening to the word, reading the word, but in memorizing the word, it, it, it will actually shape us to remember what it is that God's called us to do on a regular basis. And so I exhort you to says, seek to put this passage to memory this year. Sixthly, that every family in the church would regularly spend time worshiping God together through singing, through prayer, and through Bible reading. Um, that you would conduct family worship in some way or another. Seventhly, that every member would regularly pray for and pursue opportunities to share their faith with others. Right? Our, our, may, our evangelistic strategies at church primarily, not only, but primarily, is for us to take advantage of the relationships we have with unbelievers around us. Because those are the people who know us, who see the reality of our transformed lives. Um, where we can bear testimony, not just verbally, but with our lives to the reality that God has changed our heart. And so pray that God would open up those opportunities. And I'll tell you, I've seen that prayer answered in remarkable ways. Um, as I converse with you guys, it's just amazing to see the opportunities that God has opened up regarding evangelism within this church and pray that it would keep happening so that other people would learn of the grace of Christ. Uh, eighthly, that the Lord would maintain unity and love for the elders and deacons as we seek to work together. Like it's a new team coming together, presumably that that gets approved um, by the body. And so just, you know, the years past, we prayed that God would raise up elders and deacons. Well, he's done that, it seems. And so pray that not only would 
that would we do the work, but we do the work with tremendous unity and love and affection. And because there's going to be times where we disagree with one another and that we would wisely and humbly work through those issues for the sake of the church. And we'd have biblical discernment. I had multiple conversations with pastors at the Shepherds Conference, and it was just heartbreaking to hear even some leadership teams that I used to be a part of, how they disintegrated. Um, So this is a real, it's a real need. Pray for your leaders. Ninth, that God would give wisdom, clarity, and enthusiasm to the leaders of each ministry. So I'm thinking of the the leaders already mentioned, sound and nursery and hosting. We have a number of people that lead ministries in the church. Just pray that God would give them wisdom and joy in, in the work that they do. So it wouldn't be a burden, that they wouldn't burn out. And, you know, as we do our ministry joyfully, it then is, it allows other people to be, to be blessed. And then tenth, finally, that God would inspire the church members to be even more generous than they already are. And they're giving to the Lord's work. Just pray that God would do that. He would inspire us with generous hearts. And again, it's, it's not about giving so much to the institution, but it, giving is an act of worship. It's a way to, to show that our heart is, is devoted to God. And, and <laughs> there's many generous people in this church, and you can talk to them. And they can give testimony after testimony as they have given sacrificially to the Lord how God has also just richly blessed them. But that's not why they give. They don't give to be blessed by God. They give to bless others with the gifts that God's already given to them. So I encourage you to, to also take advantage of the grace of God in giving to ministry. So pray for these requests. And uh, you can think of them as resolutions of the church. You guys probably are very familiar with Jonathan Edwards. He uh, wrote his famous resolutions. I think, think he was 18 when he did so. And he wrote those resolutions primarily to give practical clarity to himself, to remind himself on what it means to be a believer. That's kind of what these goals are for, that we would see them and be reminded of what we're resolving to pursue as a church body and as members of this body. And it was common at the time of Edwards for serious Christians to compose these resolutions, which would serve as a means of of evaluating themselves spiritually. And so they would also, because of that, look to these resolutions as grounds of assurance that they really were believers, because they actually were living out these commands that God had given in Scripture. So they would use these resolutions as kind of a state of their souls, how they would evaluate the state of their souls, just as we're using these goals to evaluate our state as a church. And Edward's resolutions really indicate the profound seriousness with which he took his walk with the Lord. And I would like us as a church to demonstrate similar resolve as we seek to live out Romans 12 and the rest of Scripture. And so I want to just close by reading the first resolution that Edwards penned, which really just kind of served as a summary of all the other resolutions that followed. And I think they could serve as a summary for the goals that we have as a church as well. He said, Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good 
profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration. In other words, in the rest of my, for the rest of my life, without any consideration of the time it would take, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence. Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this. Whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us similar resolve as a church. That we would be the church that you've called us to be in the New Testament. Lord, we don't want to evaluate ourselves from other great, good, godly churches in the world or in our nation. Lord, we want to evaluate ourselves based upon the Scripture. We don't want to evaluate ourselves based upon the church next door or the other churches, good or bad, that abound within our nation. Lord, we want to evaluate ourselves based upon Your Word. And so I pray that You would help us particularly in regard to these ten goals that we have as a church, help us to grow in them so that you would receive the glory and honor and worship that you deserve and so that your church would grow to be the bride that you've designed her to be. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.